Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, well <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could have edited that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, I said all this stuff. It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny V, and today I'm super excited to welcome a return guest, Mark Smith. Mark lives, works, and surfs on Victoria's surfed coast. The first book is his acclaimed The Winter Trilogy, The Road to Winter, is widely taught in secondary schools and loved by readers of all ages. Wilder Country, the second book of the trilogy, won the 2018 Indie Book of the Year for Young Adults, and today we talk about If Not Us. Welcome, Mark. Thanks very much, Danny. Thanks for having me back. It's so cool to have you back, and I remember feedback sessions with Ben Hobson. We sat and we talked about this very manuscript in episode 248, where it wasn't a published book yet. We read three really raw drafts, of, you know, but that are very different to you know the published version I hold in my hands today. How cool is that that we did that? Yeah, it's great. It was great to have the big fella have Ben on with us as well, um, and. I, I think it's just such a valuable thing for people to see, um, and especially now to be able to compare it with the, the you know, the final edited version. Um, so it was a great process. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I, I've already put it on um, the socials, you know, about how we spoke to you before, and a lot of people have been going back to the episode yeah. to yeah. have a listen to, you know, how it started. And I think it's really cool for all authors of all, you know, all types and whatever stage you're at, because if you're an aspiring author, you can see how raw things start and then how they look when they're published. And even as an established author, I think it's so interesting because we just don't see this enough. No, we don't see how messy authors yeah. are really in the process. That's right. And then when you're writing, if you're an aspiring writer, you're thinking this mess can't be normal. Like I must be doing something completely wrong. And then you hear that it's actually right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the more mess, the better. <laughs> so what when you think about that episode that we did and then this published book that I've got in my hands here, what was the journey between from the time we spoke to you to then now having this beautiful book in the world? Well, obviously the journey, part, a big part of that journey was was putting that 
raw manuscript into the hands of people who are going to give me a, a, as a complete manuscript and to give me that really critical feedback. Um, and almost immediately, you know, the, the first readers were saying not enough dramatic tension, you know, especially at the beginning. And it's what I always get. And, you know, this is the trap that I fall into. I've fallen into four times because I've got four books. <laughs> And that is that generally my first readers say, yeah, it's really good, but it doesn't start till chapter three. Wow, um, that's so interesting. It means that I haven't put that time into that really essential first chapter mm. um, and I haven't built enough, uh, well, either, you know, haven't done enough exposition or I've done too much exposition or I haven't built setting or I've, or I've got strong enough characters yet um, until something takes off, probably, you know, the inciting incident or something in the, in the, by about chapter three. Um, so it means, but that's great because that gives me the opportunity to go back mm -hmm. and say, all right, well, what have I got here? I, and, and they're right. Every, every time they're right, unfortunately. <laughs> and you think I've learned, what have you, but I don't. <laughs> so do you rework those chapters for this book or did you chuck them out and start uh, chapter I three? I reworked them, mm -hmm. but I reworked them really heavily. If you look at the book, the first chapter is actually really short. Yep. Um, in terms of the number of pages. And um, it was I just needed to, you know, there's, there's so much that needs to be done in that first chapter. There's, there's you know, yeah, all that sure. establishment of character, establish a setting, establishing a voice, um, and then into the action. Because yeah. if, you're not, if you're not getting the plot moving um, in that first chapter, it, it, I think your readers see through it and they think, oh, this is okay. Um, I love some advice that I got from Tristan Banks um, about this, and he said, um, "Arrive late, get out early. You know, arrive <laughs> late, so don't be afraid. Don't don't I spend all this building up this story. Just get the get the reader into it." Oh, Tristan, we love you, Tristan. That's great. That's really great advice. Arrive late, leave early. I yeah. like that. And Tristan's going to be part of our NaNoWriMo series in November, oh, good. so he'll be full of great advice. And I know you're going to have some good advice for us too, Mark, about yes, writing. Yeah. <laughs> Now, can you start by giving us an elevator pitch about this book, If Not Us? Sure. Um, so If Not Us is a, is a coming-of-age story. Principally, it's a coming-of-age story, but it's wrapped in this David and Goliath tale of a small town taking on a, you know, taking on a large multinational company. We've got a reluctant hero, Hess, who's a surfer dude, 17 years old. Um, who's, his mum has been a long-time environmentalist, and it's kind of this joke between them. You know, she's a single mum because um, uh, Hess has lost his dad. And uh, into this mix arrives a, a similarly aged, a 17-year-old uh, Dutch girl who's an exchange student who has landed in this town almost by mistake because she was meant to go to another family but they moved at the last minute and she has, so she ends up, and it's, you know, it's classic fish-out-of-water story um, for her. Um, but she brings this really strong European sensibility to um, to Hess, who she hooks up with. Uh, and they had this very uh, sort of tenuous relationship to begin with. I had so much fun playing with the relationship with these two. Mm. Um, and uh, ultimately, uh, Hess is convinced by Fenner to get involved in this campaign, to close down the coal mine and power station that are in the town and have been in the town and supported the town for 50 years. Um, so it's got very strong climate change themes. Uh, there is a, there's certainly a romance in there, but it's, it's, a bit, it's an off-kilter romance, I suppose. Um, and it, it delves into issues of teenage mental health as well. Um, and, 
and things like consent. And it was, it was so much fun to write this book. There's so many things that, um, that I really enjoyed writing about it. And just from that elevator picture, I have about 25 other questions for you. So <laughs> what I really liked about Fedo, I mean, we talked about this in episode 248, was I have Dutch blood and I've always been accused and my father has been accused of being very direct. Yep. And, when people, directness. Yeah. <laughs> and when people aren't used to such directness, it can be uncomfortable. But in my family, it's just the way you are. You just yeah. say what you think. At least you always know where you stand, right? But for people who hadn't listened to 248, you actually had some people, some Dutch people, come yeah. in and help you with this characterization tell me about this yeah i did um so i've got very good um dutch friends um who who my wife and i met traveling god i don't know how many you know decades ago but they of course now had kids and their kids um probably a couple of years before i was writing this book came out to australia as gap students um so these two girls um uh, marika and anna and um fena is like this combination of both of them you know um, but they were so, um, they was, became so involved in the process. I had so many Zoom meetings with them because obviously they're back, they're studying now and they're beginning their careers because they're in their 20s. But um, but had so many great, um, and a lot of it was about exactly what you're talking about. It's capturing that particular essence of the character um, and they would they actually use that term Dutch directness, you know. <laughs> yeah, I've heard um, that and, before too. <laughs> yeah, and from you know, and Fenner's first scenes in the book, Hess is kind of like this. The boy is kind of is knocked back. He can't figure out, um, you know, where this girl's come from and and why is she kind of communicating with him in the way that she is. Um, so uh, you know, I I love the fact that these two girls were were willing to. And they helped out with my terrible Dutch as well. Um, so they, they were able to throw a few words into the mix, especially swear words. So oh, what words did you learn? Maybe not I swear words. I, 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 ended, I think most of them just ended up getting edited out. Um, so. <laughs> you don't remember any Dutch? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had this um, great idea because I've been to Holland a few times to see my relatives and I had this great idea that I was going to learn how to speak Dutch. You go yeah. over there, everyone speaks English and you yeah. think, well, why do I need to learn? Yeah. Dutch then. That's exactly right. <laughs> Makes you very lazy. <laughs> it does, yeah. And look, one of the one of the difficulties that Fenner has when she first comes here is um, she does speak English and speaks speaks quite good English, but she finds it difficult to speak in English all the time. Yeah. You know, and to and to have to begin to think in English and not translate from Dutch in her head into mm -hmm. English. Um, so it kind of uh, it, it explains some of the kind of communication breakdown she has at times with Hess. Mm, it's very interesting. And when I stayed over there with my cousin, it's interesting because they learn at least two other languages besides their own, English and then another one. So they're so yeah. talented. And here we oh, are yeah. in Australia being too lazy to learn, you yeah. know, me, myself, to yeah. go over there and learn their language. Well, these two girls, are, are, um, they've just uh, completed their masters, both of them, and they wrote their master's thesis in English, oh, wow. you know, so they're Dutch, but they're oh, I, I, just blows That's me amazing. away. Yeah, they're very, it's very, very interesting there. And I think because they do live in close proximity to other countries, it's important to know other languages, but yeah. it just blows my mind that they can, they're yeah. you know, so multilingual. Yeah. What, what struck me is really funny, just on a personal note, is I know that Fenner was at a beach in Australia, but when I was in Holland, I stayed there for, you know, a month with my cousin. 
and I remember it was about 17 degrees and she woke me up and she said, let's go to the beach. And I'm like, why? It's 17 degrees. And she goes, because it's 17 degrees. So she yeah. rounded up all her friends and I was wearing jeans and a jumper and they were all in bikinis. And yeah. it was just the weirdest yeah. experience of my life going to the yeah. beach on this really, you know, overcast day. Yeah. So I loved that, you know, she was on the beach, in this Australian beach coming from Holland. So I thought that was really yeah. cool. Yeah. Now, from the very beginning, I mean, we know it has a very um, important message throughout the book and you've got two quotes. And I'm assuming the John F. Kennedy quote inspired the name of the book because he says, if not us, who, if not now, when? I love this quote because it's just so simple but says so much. Yeah. Then you've also got a Greta Thunberg quote which says, you are failing us, but young people are starting to understand your betrayal. The eyes of all future generations are upon you. And if you choose to fail us, I say, we will never forgive you. We will not let you get away with this. Right here, right now is where we draw the line. The world is waking up and change is coming, whether you like it or not. Both very different quotes, but both very, very powerful. And they're in the beginning of your book. So how did they inspire or shape the final product of what you put out as a, as a published manuscript? Yeah, sure. Well, the first one, the John F. Kennedy one, was we had real difficulty with the title for this book and it was running right up to we're, we're almost ready to go to print here and we mm. hadn't been able to agree on a title. Wow, because um, it seems so right. I know, it, and it was. And yeah. one of the reasons we couldn't agree was because we came up, we were workshopping ideas and I'd send something through and, I, you know, and they wouldn't like it. And then a friend quite randomly posted a, a piece of graffiti on, on uh, Instagram and it was that quote. And I just looked at it and I thought, if not us, oh, my God, that's it. And it's wow. the moment that I got onto the, you know, the marketing department at Tex. I said, oh, thank God, that's it. You know, and it was like <laughs> this light bulb moment for everybody. <laughs> um, and, and now I, obviously I can't imagine it being, being named anything else. Yeah. Um, the Greta Thunberg quote um, is... Uh, you know, she she launched that school strike for climate movement, and she yeah. did it as a, as one girl sitting outside the Swedish Parliament with her sign on a Friday. Mm. You know, on Fridays, um, that was her strike. And now there are millions upon millions of kids who are doing what she did. Um, and so she began that that movement. And the book actually. Um, Prior to COVID 2019, there were the schools for climate, you know, um, strikes all over Australia. And I went to the one in Geelong and it was awesome. God, it was so, so powerful. And these these kids were passionate and, and they were on top of the issues and the speakers were awesome. I actually went home that afternoon and I began writing, writing the book. Wow. That's where it came from. Wow. Like I was so, I thought, oh, my God, there's something here which is yeah. really powerful. And I need to be able to write about it. And I've been an environmentalist and been involved in campaigns and, and you know, um, protests and I've been arrested and I've been, I've been to all of those things for a long period of time. Um, but what I see is the, the passion in these kids um, for, you know, there's this, there's this idea that, that particularly the government at the moment has that, you know, kids are... You're scaring kids with all this stuff about climate change. They're not scared, they're angry. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to bring out in this book. Mm. Now, I want to touch on a couple of things, but I can't go past how you said you were arrested. Please tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, which one? <laughs> oh, all right. I'm okay. selling, selling I, uh, in now, Mark. I'm settling in uh, for these stories. There was, a, there was a big protest out in the desert at Roxby Downs. Um, must have been in the, I don't know, mid-late 80s, I would think. Um, and I thought it was awesome. I was out there and, and um, you know, in the camp and um, we got arrested. We actually got arrested for loitering. Yeah, oh, so refusing to, I don't know, something to do with loitering anyway. Like we didn't <laughs> break anything, but um, refusing to cease to loiter. That's Ooh, what it was. Um, and, um, but it was, it was actually very scary because we got pretty badly beaten up and um, oh. yeah, it, it was very isolated out there and um, the South Australian police and the company people, security, uh, they could get away with whatever they wanted to. Um, and when we got arrested, we got taken into Andamuka, which is this really, uh, um, you know, outback town and um on the way back that night we got um rammed off the road like by a big four-wheel drive we we're in a little minibus um and this big four-wheel drive came up behind us and just rammed us again and again and again at wow. like 60 70 k's an hour oh, on a dirt road in the middle of the night in the wow dark, you know? wow so it's pretty freaky <laughs> it um, is pretty freaky yeah that's an incredible story. Now let's go back to the passion part because I actually find this really interesting about kids because as you become an adult, I think you become, you think too hard about things, you think I can't make a difference or you become a bit cynical or a bit busy or whatever. But I think, you know, kids or teenagers or young adults, they don't have that that yet, you know, those ideas of it's too hard or, it's, you know, I can't do it or they just are so full of passion and I love that and I love how you've instilled that in these characters as well and I love what I didn't know was how you were inspired by that passion. So tell me how you brought that kind of passion into um, the story. And Hess's mum is a bit like that too. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you 100% that, that the passion is there in those kids. And it's like they don't have, the, they don't have that filter. They don't have that, um, that sort of voice on their shoulder that's saying, oh, you really don't have a voice, you know. But at the same time, you understand why they feel as though they're not being listened to um, mm -hmm. because... Um, Fenner has this, you know, I love this, this line where she says, you know, she confronts even the other kids and she says, don't you understand, we are the last generation. Mm. And they are. This is yeah. the last generation. We've got nine years. The IPCC report says we have nine years. Oh, my goodness, so, that's terrifying. So this, this girl is the <sighs> one who brings that European understanding to these kids in Australia and then they act on that, you know, on... And it's not just on it's not just on passion. It's acting on uh, awareness, and it's acting on their own futures. Um, that's what that's what they're angry about. They're angry that their futures are being sold down the river, um, and or what's left of the rivers. And um, and when Hess comes on board with Fenner, um, he's he's reluctant because he doesn't want to be the centre of attention. He doesn't want to take on this role, but it's part of his. You know, this is a this is a coming of age story. It's part of all of them standing up and yeah. all of them recognising that they have a voice that can be listened to and can be powerful. Mm, that's really interesting. I love that. And you mentioned before the characters, uh, Hess and Fenner, and how you loved creating them and loved the dynamic, and so did I because I think it started really interesting and then, um, you know, Hess was obviously challenged by this person which made him interested in Fenner. So I really liked that. So tell me about the character development and then developing them together to create that dynamic. Yeah, um, the big thing, 
big thing that I wanted to do with Fena was I, I wanted to explore the the um, the idea of anxiety in mm -hmm. in teenagers. Um, yeah. She suffers from anxiety. She hides it fairly well, um, <laughs> but she um, she kind of unburdens to Hess eventually. Um, so and. I was really, con I, I, I didn't want to write a book about um, anxiety or about yeah. a character with anxiety. I wanted to insert a character with anxiety into that context so that it normalises the behaviour. Um, and that's what I was trying to do with Fenner. But it also creates this, uh, this great dynamic between the two because it's not your traditional two teenage kids getting together. It's one teenage kid um, who is trying to sort, you know, um, the fact that she's from the other side of the world to start with has a totally different experience of life um, and now she's in this small town, but it's complicated and I think her character is deepened mm. by that and, and made much more complex by her wrestling with her own anxiety and mm. how she deals with that. Um, and you know, like, like, any, like any mental illness, it is, um, you know, if, if you've met one person with anxiety, you've met one person with anxiety because it, it um, it shows itself in so many different ways in in so in different people. Yeah, so um, and and having such, it's interesting. Uh, it's going to get quite confessional, um, but um, but as a teenager, I I it was never diagnosed as anxiety. It was always kind of in when I was at that age. It was just really shy. You know, you're just really shy. Um, but that feeling of that of that pressure and of being watched and of and of not being able to walk through the door of the party, you know, desperately wanting to go, but I can't walk through the door, um, or uh, always leaving parties early, you know, and just go out the back door. You don't want to have to say goodbyes because you don't want to draw attention to yourself. Those sorts of things I was really keen to explore through this character of Fenner. Um, and then as you talk, and then as you said, the dynamic changes the dynamic in the relationship between the two of them. Um, and I kind of like the way in which, um, in which Hess comes to read her, you mm -hmm. know, he looks for the he looks for the clues, he looks for the little trigger points, and to see how she's travelling today. Mm. Uh, and I think that's a, a you know, I'm, I'm not trying to virtue signal for kids to be reading this, but I think it's great that those things are explored, and that um, kids will be reading it and maybe thinking about the other kids that are around them. Yeah, it is so important because, uh, you know, we, we're able to have these conversations now about anxiety. And I've, I've always talked about, well, I haven't always, there was a time in the podcast where I started talking about my anxiety accidentally. This is what happens here. We have these conversations and you just start talking about it. Yeah. And, but I actually, I, I found it very difficult, but then I found it easier to manage my anxiety because I started talking about it but that's only a very recent thing in the last sort of four or five years before that it was something that you didn't really talk about you know that culture of soldiering on which really irritates me I, yeah. I, there's nothing that irritates me more than yeah. the soldier on sort of concept because you know it says to you no matter what's going on you just have to keep getting the job done and I think that's actually really bad for our mental yeah. health and it's for so long yeah for so long I did that no no I just have to keep going keep going keep going eventually you can't run or hide from your mental illness or your anxiety and then it gets you <laughs> even yeah. more because yeah. you ignored it for so long. So I really like that you did explore it and you explored it in a different way and then you explored another character experiencing it through her mm. because, you know, that's also something that isn't explored as well because you're often dealing with your anxiety 
alone. Yes. If you can have a friend or someone to look out for you or to see, you know, the triggers, if there are triggers, I mean, mm. that's an interesting, interesting thing to explore as well. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really enjoyed writing that and, mm. and, um, and, you know, and also giving it to um, people who I know who, who do suffer from anxiety as adults and have suffered anxiety their entire life. Yeah. Um, and, so I guess it's a beta, a beta reader, a beta reader, um, mm. and um, and getting the feedback from them and building that into. Yeah. And it, sometimes it's only one sentence that's wrong. You just missed something, you yeah. know, um, that they wouldn't say or that they would say in this particular situation, which lends then authenticity to the story and to the character. Yeah, absolutely. And reading it, you know, from a person who has experienced anxiety all, all my life. You yeah. know, I, I read that in there too, like it did feel very authentic. And you're right, the hardest thing for me to talk about my anxiety was, well, to discover about my anxiety was the fact that, A, I'm always going to have it. There's no magic cure. That was really hard to hear because I always thought, no, no, everything can be fixed. Yeah. <laughs> and the second thing was that sometimes there are no triggers. That yeah. was really hard to hear too because I thought, well, as long as I can establish all my triggers, are, yeah. I will never have anxiety again. Yeah. And, you know, when I went and saw someone, they're like, well, there yeah. aren't always triggers. <laughs> they were really hard things to hear, yeah. but good And that's news. one of the first things that, that Fenner actually, you know, when she reveals her anxiety to Hess is she says, you know, I had good days and bad days. I just can't predict which is going to be which. Yeah. I don't know when the bad days are coming, you know. Yeah. Um, so, uh, which, of course, makes it difficult for him because he's trying to, he's really attracted to this girl, but um, he doesn't know all the time what, what sort of Fenner is going to present to him. Mm, no, it's interesting. And I love the way that you explored it. No, I think that we're so fortunate now that we can talk about these things without a sense of shame about ourselves or, you know, a sense yeah. of there's something not right about us. It just, it just is, you know, and having these conversations are particularly important for young people because when you're a young person, you don't always have a name for these things. You just yeah. don't feel right. Yeah. You know, so putting a name on them helps you then to at least own them a little bit sometimes. Yeah. And there's a real, there's a real um, issue there too in terms of, I mean, I'm, I'm a middle-aged white bloke, you know, so, but I've, I've, so I've got to be careful about um, not, through my writing, not virtue signalling, yeah. but actually making it real through the characters. Um, and I think kids, will, kids have got a good BS metre. They'll, they'll see oh, when, yeah, totally. when they're being preached to. Yeah. Um, and there are so many issues in this book around around climate and around consent and around um, and around you know anxiety that um, it's it's a very fine line that you are treading when you're writing it um, and you got you keep pulling back and keep pulling back um, to just find the essence of it in the characters. Yeah, that's true. And you teach young people, so do you get any sort of inspiration from them, even if you it's not conscious? Um, I don't teach anymore. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I haven't. I, I quit teaching two years ago. Okay, you know? right. Mm -hmm. um, but I carry forty years of yeah. education in my veins. You know, yeah. I'm an educator, and um, and you know, there are elements of all of my characters uh, have been drawn from students that individual students but all, it's almost like this amalgamation yeah. of things that you've seen in in particular boys or particular girls that you've taught and no one could actually identify themselves as that character um but mm, you know they are, it, it's like that you know that old, the, the old um analogy we're like magpies right as we steal stuff from everywhere yeah, to build in, that. you know, and this is <laughs> our story
<laughs> I love that a lot. Now you must have felt really at home writing about surfing culture. I mean, you're a surfy long way back, but how hard was it? Because you obviously know all the surfing jargon and all that stuff. But then for the average person like me, it's like, well, I don't, I wouldn't understand all that jargon. So how yeah. did you coming from that surfy culture, you know, make sure that it was authentic and it was real, mm. but then everyone could understand what you're talking about because yeah, it's a whole, it, whole other language, the surfy culture, isn't right. it? This is what yeah. I discovered. It was like it's a whole other language yeah. out there. Yeah, and look, if it's um, people think, well, look, you do that, so you're going to write that. That's going to be easy for you to write. In actual mm. fact, it's one of the hardest things to write for exactly the reasons that you're talking about because um, there is so much assumed knowledge that you have um, if you've been doing something for a long time, whether it be yeah. surfing, skating, whatever it might be. And you need some of that terminology for the authenticity. Um, but I, I can't write as if everybody's a surfer. <laughs> I can only, I, I can write, I've got to write for people like you and for, for people who have never surfed. And yet I've got to be able to bring them in there to feel the, the thrill and the emotion and the fear that my character has when he's out in out, out yeah. the surf. Um, so to really, uh, and and again, you know, we we talked about the editing process earlier on. Big part of that ed editing process, and it came back with every draft was pull back the surfing terminology, pull back oh, the surfing. That's interesting. Bring it back. Just just bring it back a little bit more. Wow. Um, so it is. Uh, I, I find it, and that's why I really admire writers who can write about something that they are really, really passionate about um, and still instill that passion in people who've never experienced that activity. Mm, that's really interesting. I really like that. Now, Mark, four books in. Now, obviously, we've got the, the Winter Series, the trilogy, so you've got three books there, and then you've got this one, which is a standalone, I think. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What defines a Mark Smith book? Um, oh, what defines my, that's a, it's a great question. <laughs> um, look, if I was looking for commonality between them all, um, I would say that um, um, really strong, for me, story comes first. Mm -hmm. so, in, it, so story is number one and, and a really strong page-turning storyline is, is part of every book that I write. And um, the one thing that... that writing novels as opposed to short stories has taught me is pacing and and pacing if, if you want to know what the secret to, to writing a novel oh, is I it's do I pacing. do <laughs> it's pacing you know um and not letting the words get in the way of the story you know oh, so get the story out um so I would think that the, the actual story thread is the strongest part of my writing um I think I write boys well I think I get into the heads of boys well um, I like writing dialogue. My books are always, and I rely on dialogue, especially when I'm establishing characters, um, because I think it's important that your reader hears the voice of that character early. Um, and so I, I, I rely on that. And if you look at the introduction of, um, well, you know, right at the beginning, the introduction of Hess and, uh, and Theo at the surf shop, it's really dialogue heavy. Mm -hmm. um, and Fenner, when his first real conversation, you know, when they meet in the surf shop in the second chapter, third chapter, it's really dialogue heavy. Um, so I rely on dialogue. And I, one of the reasons being I love writing dialogue and, and, um, and I love the, the way in which dialogue operates differently 
um, when a female is talking to a female and when a male is talking to a female and when a male is talking to a male. Um, I love that. Um, so they would be the core ingredients of a Mark Smith novel. <laughs> I love that. And I know, Mark, I've asked you before, why do you write? What keeps you writing? What keeps me writing? Um, I think it is I love the, the you put you put everything of your time and your energy and your and your skill and your ability into writing a novel for two or three years and when it's finally out there you lose control of it it's mm -hmm. gone it's not yours anymore but I uh, what keeps me writing is seeing the way and I write in young adult um, is seeing the way young people engage with those novels want to talk about them contact me about them the emails that I get the the handwritten letter from a grandmother oh, that I got I a couple that. of years ago you know about her grandson who wasn't a reader at all but she heard me on radio and and got wow. um, a copy of the road to winter and now he's read the whole trilogy and what else do I recommend and those wow. sorts of things um, and I, and I also love the community of writers in Australia because so we are we're a relatively small community and there's nothing but support within that community. And I feel as though I've only got a, a toe in the door of that community, but I feel <laughs> as though, you know, um, I could actually go up and talk to most people, even if I haven't met them before, most writers, yeah. we would have something uniquely in common. Absolutely. And, you know, you've hit the nail on the head. The book community, particularly in Australia, are just the most supportive, amazing, you know, community you'd ever want to be a part of, you know, optimistic, positive, and everyone is out there supporting each other in what is and what can be, you know, quite a difficult industry. So yeah. it's it's such I, a great feel good. I'm not sure I've used the analogy with you before, but, but getting published is like, it's like you've been lining up outside the nightclub for five years. And the, and the security finally says, okay, you can go in. And everybody <laughs> inside is just awesome, you know, and yes. you're in there and you can hardly believe it to start with that you're I in love there. That. I like love that. Like walking into your first green room, you know. <laughs> Here's a writer that you've been reading for, for years and, oh, I'm going to sit down opposite them at the table. Maybe we'll have a conversation. <laughs> I, I love that. Who have you had that with, you know, with a writer that you've really admired? Who, who's that been for you? Uh, look, I um, for me it was writers like uh, Jock Sarong, um, has, who's become a mate now. Like we've got a lot in common uh, through surfing. Um, mentors that I had right from the very beginning who continue to be fantastic friends. People like Tony Jordan. Um, I've been mentored by Amanda Laurie. Um, so I love the fact that um, I, I, I'm nowhere near the kind of success that those that those writers have had. Um, but I love the fact that they are still willing to give and mm. to support and 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 to be friends. Um, yeah. And I, I'm determined to do that for up and coming writers as well and to um, and to try and support them in whatever way I can so that they actually get into the nightclub as yeah, well. Yeah, I love that, Mark. I love that. You know, I've had a few of those moments on the podcast where I've really admired a writer and I've been so terrified to press, <laughs> you know, the button that says let's get on Skype or Zoom. But then when you do talk to them, mine was Elliot Pullman, when you do talk to them, they just were lovely and yeah. supportive and interested and generous in their answers. It was funny. <laughs> I mean, you obviously know Elliot Pollen from your reaction, but it was funny when um, I remember this very clearly. I'd reread all his books. I'm in such a fan of his work. Seven Types of Ambiguity will be one of my all-time yeah, favorite yeah. books forever. Yeah. 
And I remember sitting there, it was about two minutes to the time that we'd organised. I'm like, I just can't press the button. Like, I just can't, I can't do it. So I was sitting there panicking for two minutes. I'm like, you have to press the button, Danny. And I remember just going, okay, here goes. You've got to walk into the party. <laughs> yes, I had to walk into the party, but it was terrifying. Yeah. I nearly didn't. I nearly just went home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so very, very funny moments. Mike, it's always a pleasure talking to you. And I think this was extra special because we really got to talk to you in the feedback sessions in episode 248 about, you know, the beginning of this story and really the birth of this story. And now we've got this beautiful, you know, published novel, which is everything that I hoped it would be. You know, I love your writing. I love how you explore the characters with also these deeper messages. And, you know, I, I do find your story, um, all your stories just really page turning, you know, and it could, could be pace, I don't know, but it could be. But, you know, I always find myself really immersed in your stories yeah. and I love the, the trilogy that you had before too so thank you for being so generous again and for being you know, way generous before it was even That's full <laughs> thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast we'd love to engage with you on social media you can find the podcast on Facebook Instagram and Twitter Danny V Books Words and Nerds podcast You can also subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay safe and read more books.